As we turn our attention to God's Word, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is to many of us a familiar passage, and most familiar to it um, is when we hear it in weddings. And there's many ways in which that is fitting, but I invite you to hear these words this morning um, as a letter written to a church, one chapter of several. And this is a chapter about love. The title for today's sermon is a great reminder for all of us, and it's one of the verses from the text. And those words are simply this, love never fails. Even when we are not enough, when what we seem to be up against is too much for us to handle, when all of the pressures of life and of the world surround us, we remember this, love never fails. And this is the love of God made perfect to us. And it's that love that we read about in God's word today. But before we come to God's word, let's pray. God, our Father, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, our primary concern. It is in his love that we have been called. It is by your love that you send your Holy Spirit to illumine the word to us. For these things we give you thanks and pray that you may be with us now and that your love will not fail us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then... We shall see face to face. Now I know in part, 
Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last weekend, Caitlin and I were in Iowa to uh, celebrate the wedding of one of her cousins. And I had the joy and honor of officiating for the wedding. And there's a certain vantage point that you get to have as the officiant of a wedding. And so if you're a person thinking about going into ministry, I'll just let you know this is one of the perks. When I'm at North Holland, I get to stand about here. I know because I line my feet up with the sound jack that is covered by the pulpit. It's perfectly symmetrical, a wonderful thing. And the party members line themselves up here. There's a beautiful thing in weddings as we celebrate love. I love watching the grooms and the anticipation and excitement as their bride makes the corner and comes down the center aisle. There's great joy in seeing the family and friends surround the couple on their wedding day. When the bride and groom make their way up together after receiving a blessing from their families, when they take hands, when they share vows, when they exchange rings, and when they seal their marriage with a kiss, all of these things are a beautiful celebration of love. And it's a great vantage point to be standing here to watch it. Part of it, though, is to remember that this type of love is not mutually exclusive between a bride and groom. In fact, this can't be the full definition of love. Love is not just between a husband and wife, although that's a primary place that we see and celebrate it. But love, love coming to us from God and leading us back to God, love is celebrated by all of us on occasions of worship. Love, this type of love, is just as present for the single person, for the engaged, for the married, for the divorced, for the widowed. This type of love is a love that we share with Jesus Christ. And this love unites the church, not just a husband and wife. The wedding that we were at last weekend was one of those where Every bride and groom has a certain amount of excitement, but then, do you know there's some that are just, they are so caught up in the moment that there's almost like this, there's no peripheral anymore. During the reading of 1 Corinthians 13, because it was one of their texts, Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one, and 1 Corinthians 13, I think during the reading of 1 Corinthians 13, I could have changed the words and they might not have noticed I mean, part of me wondered, would they have noticed if I said, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, we're going to light the building on fire now? It might might have gone completely unnoticed because they were so focused, so attentive on one another. And there is something endearing about that, and also depending on how you encounter such things, sometimes we're just like, okay, too much, too much, Right? Because there is a type of love that we celebrate at weddings. There's that 
kind of romantic enchantment, but that's not the definition of love that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. The type of love here, even though we always hear 1 Corinthians 13 in weddings, because it's a very fitting wedding text, don't get me wrong, it's fitting because we're celebrating a type of love. But this passage was not written for weddings. This passage was not written to a starry-eyed couple that couldn't take their eyes off of each other. This passage was not written so that it could be heard by family and friends who have gathered to support and celebrate the love of a couple. This passage was written to a church that was struggling to love one another. The letter of 1 Corinthians was written to a church that was divided, a church that was having a hard time loving one another. That changes how we hear these words. Because the famous line, love is patient, love is kind, you can find these Bible verses on things that aren't particularly Christian, but they're good words. The famous lines were not written to verify the type of love that was already being expressed among those in the church in Corinth. Rather, this was written to clarify the type of love and fellowship that this church was meant to demonstrate and wasn't. Today we only read one chapter, but what precedes these chapters is a description of all kinds of spiritual gifts. And some just seem more exciting than others. And there was jealousy and confusion. Different gifts used in different ways. And certainly some individuals were jealous of others and others who thought that they had pretty good gifts were showing off just a little bit and finding themselves to be more important than other parts of the body. There were divides in this church. There was not always fair treatment when they gathered around the table for communion. Some were higher class citizens than others, not just in society, but also in the church. And so this letter to the church in Corinth says, no, no more of this. We need to clarify the type of love that you have been called to share as a church. To know that each member of this body is loved by Christ and called by Christ to use your gifts. And that it's not about the gifts but it is about the love of Christ. If we look at this chapter, dividing it into three sections, the first three verses are recapping some of the very same gifts that have been talked about earlier in the letter. And Paul, at this point, is introducing the thought that if these gifts were done without love, they are nothing. In verses 4 through 7, we're given that quintessential definition of love and what it is meant to be. And in verses 8 through 12, we're reminded first and foremost that love never fails, but everything else will cease or fade away, except for that which is in Christ. In those first three verses, we cover these gifts like speaking in tongues and prophesying, having knowledge for all kinds of mysteries. And all of this are good things. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, these are fruits of the Spirit, like long-suffering. 
But with all of this, if I do not have love, I gain nothing. The simple yet meaningful phrase to read with these first three verses is it's not about doing great things, but about doing small things with great love. All of these things can be done, but if they are not done with love, with love of Christ, with love of neighbor, they are nothing. Which would be a great shock to anyone who thinks that their gifts make them better than anyone else to hear that if it's not done in the spirit of love, it's nothing. Love never fails. But all of these other things that we do, they have a shelf life. In verse 8, where there are prophecies, they will cease. A prophet, someone who speaks in, not, not as much about future-telling as foretelling as it is forth-telling. But that has a time, and they will cease. Where there are tongues that proclaim, no matter how eloquent or ineloquent of a speaker someone is, no matter what the words that are on their tongue, their speaking will cease. They will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Even as we think of our town hall meeting this uh, after services, that line about where there is knowledge, it will pass away. That makes me think of some of the history that I've read through as we've even encountered um, different things with our building project. And I hear the stories of how different members of this congregation banded together for the last project. And some of those people are still with us, and some are not. I have a file about this thick in my office, and Howard Dahlman's signature is everywhere. And it gives me pause as I remember where there is knowledge, it will pass away. People are irreplaceable, regardless of their gifts. But love never fails. If what we do is based on the love of God, and if it is the love of God that is leading us, Love will not fail. Everything else passes away or ceases or is stilled. That definition in 4 through 7 is famous. And even those who maybe have never opened a Bible in their life might know this passage. They might not know it's from the Bible, but they know the words. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. All of the other stuff that we do, all of the other endeavors that we take on in life, even those things that just seem like they're too much for us, all of it needs to take a step aside. And maybe that undistracted glance where there's no periphery anymore, there needs to be a focus first and foremost on love. And knowing that sometimes the things that we love the things that we love don't always come across as so loving after all. To use an example in the spirit of self-disclosure, 
it's fair to say that I love Taekwondo. I really do. I think it's great. I mean, not just because it allows me to do stuff like that, which entertains me, but because of what it did for me. I loved martial arts. I loved competing in it. I loved tournament fighting. I loved all of these things. And I was good at it. One more reason to love it. Taekwondo is something that I love. And it gave me things like confidence and uh, certain physical abilities, and it probably made me a more self-disciplined young man than I would have been without it. But then when I read this definition of love in 1 Corinthians... It reminds me of all the ways that the things that we love can actually distract us or skew us from the type of love that God has called us to. Love is patient. When people critique my particular martial art, I'm not very patient. In fact, I get a little bit snarky. There's nothing more annoying to me than the argument of, you have a black belt, but I could have a gun. I always just want to punch someone in the face when they say that and say, that didn't help you right now, did it? (laughs) Because it's not a very holy love. It doesn't make me patient. It makes me kind of short-tempered. Love is patient. Love is kind. I'm not always very kind when I hear comparisons of my sport to someone else's sport. Because, hey, it's mine. Leave it alone. You can be good at that. Let me be good at this. Which is very much what the church in Corinth needed to learn how to do. This is your gift. Do it well. That's their gift. Let them do it well. My love of Taekwondo makes me neither patient nor kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. I do both of those things. I'm really jealous of people who got to learn jujitsu. I've always been envious of that. But it also makes me boast because it's not a pure love. Because I have envy and jealousy, it also, knowing what I know and the shortcomings of the thing that I love, makes me counteract that by boasting and bragging about what I know that I can do. And so I think we've had enough self disclosure for now, but there's ways, and some of you have heard stories before, in which I have boasted and bragged about all the things that I have learned how to do and some of my greatest exploits in tournament fighting. It's not love, then. It's a passion. It's something I care for. It's something I'm invested in. But it's not love. Not the kind of love that is patient and kind and does not envy and does not boast and is not proud. Many of the things that we love in life make us proud and impatient and sometimes unkind. Love keeps no record of wrongs and is not easily angered. This is a reminder for us that we don't go through life perfectly. It's not that we never get angry or that we do anything wrong. But do we hold things against people? Do we let our grudges plant themselves deep in us, that we hold on to them? That we say forgive and forget, but what we really mean is, I'm going to hold on to this until the opportune moment to win an argument. What about here at North Holland? It is the love of Christ, Christ's perfect love that has called us together. And we trust in God's Holy Spirit that that is why we're here.
But consider, are there areas where our love for one another falls short? And not because we're just mean-spirited, angry people, but simply because something that we are passionate about can get in the way of loving our neighbor. Think about the things that are just on the pulse of North Holland. Things that we love, that we have a deep history with, that we have passion about. Missions is one of the primary things that unites this church and gets us going. And think of all the different ways that that manifests itself. Mission action for years. Casas for Cristo. Different ministries with Haiti. Supporting our RCA missionaries. Supporting Eagle Crest in Alaska. All of these different ways that we have passion for missions. And different people take place in this in different ways. Things that we love, and these are all good things. But has our passion about one area ever made us defensive about it? Has it ever made us a little bit guarded and put us on edge? Because someone else might not do our particular thing. And we almost feel tempted to make sure that they know that our thing is important. Have there been times where we have not been so patient and kind as to hear why this matters so much to someone, why it's been formative to them, why it's changed their faith in beautiful ways? When we lack love, we are neither patient nor kind enough to do so, to enjoy the thing that we do and to celebrate what God is doing in it, but also to allow someone else to enjoy what they do. The things that we are most passionate about, things that we love, are the very same things that we need to be most careful that they don't put us on edge and make us defensive or even hostile towards one another. Because if it's something we're indifferent towards, we won't defend it. Consider, North Holland, that our love of mission is rooted first and foremost in the love of Jesus Christ. And that all of the things that we do together, all of the things that this group takes on, or that group does, or this group does, all of these are good things that Christ has called us to. And there is good passion to be had there and a strong history. But let's not let it turn us against each other. That was part of the issue in Corinth. Different people did different things, and one would try to elevate themselves against another. And it was splitting the church. It's not love at that point. Not the kind of love that is patient and kind and does not envy and does not boast and is not proud. So what does this look like for us? Does it look like simply taking a moment to think about the things we are most passionate about and to make sure, absolutely sure, that it is the love of God that brings us to them and that unites us in them, that we can celebrate in love what someone else is doing and that in love they can celebrate with us and that all of this is in love, the kind of love that never fails. We will fail. We will mess up. We will have arguments and there will be disagreements. All of these things are true. But that's where we come back to the next verse of that love is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. 
love will forgive. And love will bring us back and draw us together. The mark of a good relationship of love is not never creating an error, but is of taking those moments in true love to say, I'm wrong. I was wrong and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? The marriages that I respect and look up to the most are the ones who have the capacity not to hide their faults, but who have the transparency to admit their wrongs, which is a lot like confession. And in the church, confession is received with the assurance of God's love. There is only one love that is perfect, and that is the love of Christ, which calls us together. Because Jesus was patient. Jesus was patient with his disciples when they did not understand. Jesus was kind. Jesus was kind to those who were hurting, to those who were on the margins, to those who were looked down upon by others. Jesus did not envy or boast. Jesus delighted in the truth. Jesus' love was perfect, so perfect that he would take the time to speak to a woman who no one else would speak to because of her reputation. And Jesus' love also led him to correct those who thought their religiosity made them better than others. This is the perfect love of Christ that we celebrate at God's table. Jesus never fails. Jesus